the super villain dad mom is losing their marbles too you marvel that eddie brock is you and i'm the suit so call me venom i got that adrenaline in them not knowing when i'm never gonna slow up in them ready to stab any momentum thinking it's time to go get them they ain't gonna know what hit them when they get beat with the And welcome to a Real Romance double feature talking about all the new Marvel movies coming out over this fall season. I'm Robert, also known as Banffing Bob, and with me is my lovely host, Brittany. Hi! And we are going to talk about Shang-Chi from the MCU, followed by Venom, which is a Sony in production with Marvel film. Yeah, isn't that what it said at the beginning? Yeah, you ha they have to clarify that this is not an MCU film. They, they say something like, in association yeah, with... Yeah, that's, that's what it is. So, I know it has been like a month and a half since Shang-Chi came out. We've been busy. Yeah, and we kind of wanted to do a double feature, but then we had to wait for Venom to come out to do that. So, we're just going to jump right in and talk about our favorite MCU movie this year. So far. Because there's two more We coming. already talked about Black Widow. No, ma'am. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just playing. So... Shang-Chi introduces a completely new character to the MCU. A new cast of characters, really. Well, yeah, but, I mean, the main character. Yeah, the hero. Played by Simu. Mm -hmm. And Shang is really cool. I mean, I loved the movie. I thought his powers were really a unique set of new powers. I mean, spoiler alert, we, we gave our non-spoily review in the last one, yes? Yeah. So, so this one's going to be pretty spoiler heavy, and we're going to talk about all the different things that happen in both films. So uh, if you haven't gone and seen Venom, and you don't want to get spoiled, just go ahead, watch it first, or say screw it, and listen anyway and spoil yourself. I don't care. Shang gets, by the end of the movie, he ends up with the Ten Rings. Yeah. So basically the premise of this movie is that Shang has left his home when he was a, a kid, yeah, a child. Yeah, he's, like, like, 14. And he's been living his own new life, and he's a chauffeur with his best friend, Katie, and then his dad sends some people after this necklace of his. Now, we gotta preface it with Wen Wu, his dad, is, like, this immortal leader of the Ten Rings gang, and he's, like... He has, he has big superpower rings. He's the real Mandarin. Yeah. Not the fake Mandarin. Nah. Who, who comes into play later. But, but he doesn't go by Mandarin in this. No. So. He's not named after an orange chicken dish. Anyway, him and Katie have to go warn Shang's sister. And Katie didn't know anything about Shang's fake life. So she's like kind of like learning it along with us, and it blows her damn mind. I have a question. Shoot. Who did, like, how did he get through school without having any parents? I don't know. Well, he could already speak pretty good English at that time, so right. I'm guessing... so did he just hire some fake Asian parents and pretended like they didn't speak any English or something? Like... I mean... How would he get registered for classes and all that stuff? They kind of keep it vague because those answers don't exist. <laughs> like, every single school asks for all sorts of yeah. documentation, birth certificates, the whole fucking shit. Like, my mom had to go in and sign me up even for, like, high school. Yeah. You can't just be like, well, I'm Asian, so we don't use, uh, we don't have birth certificates in Asia. Well, I suppose you <laughs> like, probably would have an easier time making up one that the United States wasn't like, oh, this looks fake. Yeah, just write it all in, in Chinese. Nobody's like, they can't, know. no one can read. Chinese characters in America? That's true. Well, I don't know. It depends. 
they're in San Francisco, and there is a significant Chinatown there. I'm sure that there is a way to. Uh, Maybe he already had fake documents from his dad. Maybe, and, and that would make a lot of sense. My thought isn't more the documentation; just simply like you need a signature from someone 18 or older for things. I I digress. So that that's just yeah, a little was, tangent I was, was thinking weird. about. But so him and Katie travel to uh, Macau, where his sister is running a fight club. Yeah, and she's just a boss bitch, and she's running stuff. Jai Ling. Yeah. And when, when they're there, they see a Wong fight abomination, and it kind of plants the seed that they know each other and exist within the Marvel Universe together, which is interesting. But they end up grabbing Zha Ling's necklace, too, and there's this huge fight on the outside of the building, which is my favorite fight scene of the whole freaking movie. It was a, an amazing it's, fight scene. It's really dynamic, and it kind of reminded me of Rush Hour, only, like, better. better. Uh, I really liked <laughs> the scene, I forget what that villain's called, where he's fighting inside and outside, you can see this. Are we giant... talking about Razor Fist? No, not Razor Fist. The other one. The, the, the one with like, like the Kabuki, Kabuki mask. mask. Yeah. I don't think he's. I mean, he might be named. He has a name in the comics. I don't think they name him specifically in like this? by name in the script. Anyway, well, he has a name in the script, just not in the movie. Maybe. Right. They don't say it in dialogue. Uh, anyway. That character was really cool. I like the fight scene where they're in front of that big giant purple screen and like this anime manga stuff is kind of playing on the outside like cartoons yeah. and different things. And that I thought that was really cool. The silhouettes of their fight was really cool. Um, but anyway, after they get that, they go back to their dad because they have to. Yeah, and the dad says, hey, uh, your mom is talking to me from beyond the grave and she's not dead. She's really trapped in Talao. Which is, or Talo, I think. Talo. And that's that's where she's from, and it's this mystical, ancient Chinese uh, land that they have this Power. S- this special uh, kung fu there, right? It's an ancient martial art. And, yeah, he wants to steal it, basically. Right, and that's the whole purpose from the very beginning, is he tried to go to Talo to access this magical art. And that's how he met their mom. Right. And so now he's like, there's a way there, and we're going to go there, and we need your help. And the kids are like, screw you, Dad. You're not the boss of me. And the instant that they disagree with him, he locks them up in prison. Right. But luckily, there's a friend there, and it's the Mandarin from Iron Man 3, Trevor Slattery. And he is by far, I don't want to say by far, because Aquafina's pretty funny. But he is some amazing comic relief in this flick. He definitely got redeemed from his... his Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, Iron Man 3, damn. Did I hate Iron Man 3's, like, treatment of him? No, but it definitely wasn't, like, good. I didn't, like, like it. So, seeing him in a more supporting role and helping out the hero, I liked it a lot. And then, when they do get to Talo, now they also have a creature traveling with them. Yeah, Morris. He's a Hundun? Is that how you say that? I have no clue, but it's, it's apparently a... From Chinese mythology, he has no face, but he has, like, six legs and wings. And he's plays off, like, this really cute, like, puppy dog type character. He doesn't have any eyes. And he talks telepathically with Trevor Slattery, which is how they traverse this labyrinth of bamboo through this Chinese forest to get to the entrance to Talo. I also have to say, I really didn't appreciate people being like, this was just, like, Pokemon, because of all the characters and creatures. Y'all know that Pokemon was based on, like, ancient Asian, like, 
creatures and mystical things. Yeah, and I mean, granted, it's all mostly made up, but the creatures that are in Talo are straight from mythology. Chinese mythology. Like you have your guardian lions, you have dragons, you have uh, the nine tails. Yeah, just all sorts of really fun creatures that make Which appearances. Which was your favorite creature overall? I don't know. Morris was pretty dope. I thought the nine tails were so beautiful. But I want one of those lion things. I don't remember what they were called, but they were really cool. Also, those um, like the deer. Oh, it's like yeah, weird they're like horse deer things. Moose they're type things. Really they were beautiful. beautiful. Absolutely, but guardian lions are legit, and I I can dig those too. Um, so they get to Talo, and there's this huge fight scene because the dad is trying to get to the mom, who is apparently trapped with this uh, dweller of darkness, and he's behind this big giant wall. And he was trapped there a thousand years ago by a guardian dragon. Meanwhile, uh, Zhaoling and Shang's aunt is like, uh, yeah, nah, that's, that's not true. Like, your aunt is not back, your, uh, my, your mom is not back there. The creature just really wants out, and he knows that your dad has the power. Well, he, I guess it's a he, I don't know. Yeah, we, we assume, but... It, it's a creature. The yeah. creature knows that the dad has the ten rings and the power to open the door. So the creature is trying to convince the dad, has done this before, it uses your greatest desire to right. convince you. And right. that made me kind of sad, because when you see all the flashbacks in the movie, Wenwu truly loved their mom. Yeah, he's been kind of corrupted by the rings over time. And it's really interesting to see, like, the way that armor sheds itself from him when he becomes a dad and when he falls in love with their mom. And then when their mom died tragically, he felt like he should have protected her with the rings. And so he's like, well, <laughs> being a good dad is over now, I guess. Yeah. F, it, F my kids. It, it was really just very sad. The whole thing was just depressing, and I felt bad for both the dad, the kids. I'm not saying that doesn't excuse his behavior, but it, it does make him a more sympathetic villain, which is what you're always looking for in your best villains. Correct. And the whole movie culminates in this big battle in Talo between the, well, really the Ten Rings versus the citizens of Talo, and, and then the dragon versus the, the darkness, and also... Like, there's these little mini-demons that suck your souls out, like, uh... Yeah, the, the Ten Rings joins... Like Harry Potter. A Dementor? Yeah! The, the Ten Rings joins forces with the Zalo... With Zalo. Now you got me doing it. The Talo people mm -hmm. to fight these demon-dementor-type creatures. Yeah. They look like little Cthulhus, almost. Yeah, like little tentacles and... Flying spaghetti but, monsters. I mean, they don't look exactly like that, but I mean, that's the best way I can describe it without showing yeah. anybody a picture. Oh, also, the the only thing that can really kill these things is dragon scale, and so um, their armor's made out of dragon scale. Their arrows, their swords, everything is made out of dragon scale, so that they can they can beat this thing. So of course, the two siblings get really dope new armor. Hell yeah! But it it culminates in this huge battle, and Shang Chi's fighting his dad Wenwu, and Aquafina's character Katie, she learns to shoot an arrow in like a ten day. minutes. Yeah. yeah, but apparently she's just like a crack shot. You know. Well, to be fair. Give Hawkeye run for his money. She only makes one shot that we see. Anybody could make one shot. I mean. Wait. I couldn't. What do you mean? You couldn't make one shot. Not not under pressure like that. 
I then my bowstring would snap, and one, I'd slap myself in the face. One would assume that some of it was the magic of the location. Yeah. And she does seem like she had some kind of experience in something similar before. Yeah. She's just never stuck with anything long enough to get amazing. Right. Also, I appreciate that they kind of tied into the fact that Aquafina does live in a, a an Asian home where expectations are really high, and she feels like a total letdown to her family. And I think that kind of representation is also important, showing different lifestyles and different people. Not everyone's just a white dude who can go to college, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, some people have to struggle through, and they don't live up to their family's expectations, which is a big theme in this movie. At the end of the movie, how do you feel, like, where do you feel that things stand? Do you feel good about the way things ended? Do you feel excited about Shang coming to the MCU? Well, I like the idea of Shang-Chi just being, like... Being able to go toe-to-toe with anyone in the Marvel Universe without a leg up. But in order to fight the things that are going to be showing up in the later MCU, he he did need an edge. And I think the Ten Rings do that. I think this movie really sets him up as a hero to be in the next phase of the Marvel Universe. And he's a very relatable, fun character. So, really, there's no downside. He's a more fun character than someone like Black Panther. I think it'll be interesting to see how he interacts with some of the other characters. I have to wonder if, at the end of the movie, there's a post-credit scene where he's talking to Bruce Banner and uh, Captain Marvel and Wong, and they're like, well, these rings are, like, super old, and they're also calling to something. So I think that the rings are going to be important to set up Right, because it's not cosmic, per se. But we don't know what they are. Right, and it's not a scientific, technological thing that they can see, and it's not mystical. I have to wonder if whatever they're calling to isn't in another universe, and now that the multiverse is open, that they won't call to that thing. Right, but remember, when we had them for a long time, it was only when... It's kind of like, you know you know how in Harry Potter, the Elder Wand changes its allegiance based on yeah. who won it last? Well, maybe it's one of those things where the Ten Rings needed to be with someone who was new or fresh or I uncorruptible. Think it was more the fact that he had his mom's power that awoke the ring. Yeah. Because the rings change color when mm-hmm. they go to Shang. And his mom and at his the very mom. beginning. So one can assume that the blue is when the rings are like a corrupt, evil power, and then when they change that beautiful gold that Shang is using. It's kind of like channeling some. like good power power. so it'll be interesting to see where those go I would not be surprised if we saw Shang interacting with the Eternals in a future film so what do we think about like as far as origin stories and solo stories in the MCU I said in the last one it was one of my top origin stories for sure yeah I, I definitely think that this one holds up even though it's not your typical Marvel fair it's not like it doesn't feel especially superhero-y. Like, there's good action scenes in it, but it doesn't feel like, you know, capes and stuff like that. I felt like this was a great movie because it could stand by itself. Like, my sister, who's never seen most of the Marvel movies, she's seen a few here and there. Like, she, I think she's seen... Spider-Man, because she likes Zendaya. And Guardians of the Galaxy. Right, because you, like, made her watch it. No, Dad, Dad and her watch that sometimes. Oh, that's cool. But... She really enjoyed this movie, not having seen most of the other movies, and with very minor, like, hey, this is what's going on here. Very, very little. Right, because 
if you have no knowledge of the comics, that's okay, because only the most hardcore comic book fans really did read Master of Kung Fu. That's like there with Rawhide Kid. No one read them because the superhero books were so popular. Like, they were around in the 70s, but they weren't really the big thing. So they set it up for the layperson for anyone to understand. Well, I just meant the MCU specifically. Like, you didn't have to know a lot about the movies. Because most of the movies... It doesn't matter about Thanos. You don't don't need to know anything about the comics to watch any of the movies, babe. Let's be real. I've watched them all and have read very few comics. But what I meant was, like, you've asked me, like, who's that? What's this? That's because I can't tell who people are apart when they get different haircuts. Or they're wearing a mask. I didn't know who Bucky... Bucky took off his mask in The Winter Soldier. And you were shook. And I was like, who is that? Because everybody in the theater was freaking out. And I'm, like, sitting there, like, why are we freaking out? I don't know who this is. And I was like, Robert, who is this? And he was like, that's Bucky. You know, from the first movie. And, like, I just didn't realize who it was. He looked. He looks completely different. He he definitely looks different in the new Eternals movie. Stop that! That <laughs> fucking Icarus does not look anything like Bucky to me. He he does kind of look like Rob Stark though. Oh my god! I I really just can't with you. You're gonna do, have to go somewhere. Do, do you love me? Not right now. I don't. Let's switch gears and uh, now that we've kind of talked about Shang Chi a little bit, uh, anything else you want to add on that one? Not really. I'm just really excited to see where he goes in the future. Yeah. I think uh, Shang is going to bring Katie right along with him. Oh, absolutely. And I'm, I'm really hoping they don't turn Jolly into just like a, a stereotypical villain. Yeah. Also, the visuals in this, so amazing. Stunning. Unbelievable visuals, both CGI and just like natural beauty of, um, I'm thinking like the setting, mm-hmm. right? They really brought it to life. And so major kudos to Marvel for kind of pushing out of their comfort zone on that one. Venom. A very different Talk movie. about a 180, right? There is no happy sunshine in this one. I will say, I wish that they had pushed harder to make Venom rated R. Yeah. Because I think Carnage would have been a better villain if it had been rated R. I liked it. Don't get me wrong. I still, I really liked the movie. But if you're going to have a movie about a serial killer who eats people's heads off, Come on. You you have to show it in full glory. There was not... There were so many cutaways. There was, like, no blood. I mean, there was. There, the bl- most blood we saw is when Venom or Carnage bites Eddie Brock. Mm-hmm. Think about it. That's true. Did we see any other blood in the movie? I mean, yeah, but it wasn't gratuitous. No, I wanted lots more blood. Yeah. With a name like Carnage, if there's not, like, just buckets of blood okay. and limbs everywhere... So, before this movie, what did you know about Carnage? He was a symbiote that was made from Venom, that's, and somehow... That's pretty much it. Yeah. Right? You knew he was related somewhat to Venom well, and Spider-Man. I knew Spider-Man. he was, like, his son. Yeah. Spider-Man. Spider-Man's not involved. It's in the Spider-Man universe. Well, yeah, but not in these. That's what I meant. Like, they're all in that Spideyverse. And now after, what do you know about Carnage? Pretty much that. <laughs> well, we know he's Cletus Casty. Well, I knew that right? before. You knew he was a serial killer? Yes. He and was at the end of the last Venom movie. Barely. But enough to know I knew what he, who he was. Right. So, in this movie, um, Eddie Brock, he still has Venom from the last movie, even though he tried to play it off that he didn't. Because Venom almost died. Right. And Venom is 
he wants to eat brains, but Eddie's putting the absolute no on him. Venom wants to be the what is it he called something Avenger or yeah the yeah it's something vengeance something like that he Le- wants lethal lethal vengeance or some shit lethal, lethal protector. protector we got it yeah it took us a second but we got there but he wants to be this one who just you know eats bad guys and saves the day so he wants to be a hero and when he goes and interviews Cletus Casty. Venom is like, hey, maybe we can solve this case by looking in his room and seeing all that those weird drawings on his wall. Ends up finding a lot of bodies. Well, and all his victims. Yeah. It's a whole thing, and now, now Cletus is sentenced to death, and he has to speak with Eddie Brock one last time, and during it, they get quite heated, and he bites him. Yeah, and it is not normal blood, and Cletus is like, look, I'm a cannibal, and that ain't blood, Dode. Like, for real. Dode? Dode. But basically, Cletus breaks out, and Cletus wants to find his long-lost love, Shriek. Shriek. And they were in uh, St. Agnes, no. I don't know, some weird homeless school. Yeah, but she has super-powered voice. Like, she can scream and make things break. She might very well have been the first mutant. Yeah, but I mean, it's not called that, so let's not call it that. No, but... They could very easily retcon her into the first mutant because we don't exactly know why she has her powers. Right. Like, it's very clear why Venom is the way he is. He's an alien symbiote. Yes. However, there is no explanation for why Shriek has superpowers. Also, I think... uh, Can we talk about the end credit scene now so that I can... Yeah. So... Spoilers. At the end, there's like a flash and Venom and Eddie end up in a different universe where Spider-Man is. Yeah. Like, our Tom Holland Spider-Man. And Venom Molten. So my thought process is that when they take Shriek away, they take her to a place that supposedly has others like her. Mm-hmm. Thus, the, those could, in fact, be mutants. Because why else would they be like her? And if they are mutants... Maybe they're just using it as a vague, like, super-powered person. But I see where you're coming from. It's just a thought. And it may not be true, and it may not be where mutants come from. But what if it was? I'm ready for mutants in the MCU, so I'll take anything I can get. We know that they're making a a movie that is roughly titled Mutants, is it not? Yeah. Who knows? Maybe that's where they come from. I mean, we can assume that Eddie is not the only one that gets thrown into the multiverse where Tom is existing. Well, obviously, because we had uh, Doc Ock and everyone else throw in, too. So So we we don't know what's going to happen. For all we know, there might be a Fox X-Men cameo in there. We have no clue. Would would it be safe to assume... So, by the end of this movie, Eddie's former girlfriend, fiancé... What's her name? Don't don't know. Uh, Michelle Williams. Yeah. Uh, she, Anne, isn't it Anne? Yeah. She... Anne and Dan, that's how I remember it. (laughs) She's pretty much content with her boyfriend, and Venom has pretty much, and Eddie have both pretty much come to terms with them being together. Yeah. So I think Venom being in a new universe would be an easy way to no longer have him with that Anne. What if we see a new Anne that ends up with him? You know what I mean? Because his Anne... Is pretty happy with her Dr. Dan. Dr. Dan. Venom Man. So, it would be a nice way to let them have their happy ending while still letting Eddie also 
have a love interest again. Or maybe that's part of why Venom is so, like, upset. Because Anne's gone. Yeah, and he's stuck in this world and he can't, he doesn't know or anything. Venom very much lost. looks like he wants to eat Peter Parker. Mm-hmm. He, like, licks the screen yeah. like a creep. Anyway, back to Carnage. Sorry, it's just the no, most important no, thing to me. It, it really is. But the idea of, you know, your villain already being a serial killer and being on death row, it just adds to it. Like, not only are you a, a killer alien, but you're possessing someone who is just a human killer in general. Well, as we know, the symbiotes, if they're stuck there long enough, do tend to take on the personalities of their host body. Correct. Carnage and Cletus do not fully blonde like Eddie and Venom are. Yeah. They do definitely match together. But Carnage has different ideas than, and he does not like Shriek. Also, it's a really fun thing because the two main things that the symbiotes do not like are sound and fire. And Shriek's big power is screaming. So if she she uses her powers, she essentially cripples Carnage. Yeah. Or Venom. Either one that she's around. Right. Right? So it's a very interesting dynamic there. I kind of was sad that they kind of... Well, I mean, they definitely killed her off, or was it kind of an ambiguous she said? I felt like it was kind of ambiguous. I think it would be really cool to see her again. What did you think about the subplot with, uh, with the officer, or the detective, rather? I thought that was a really interesting Detective Mulligan. Yeah. I think that if we don't... I bet he got pulled over into the multiverse. It's very possible, and they also really tease that he's going to be a symbiote as well. Is he a symbiote? We don't really know what his power is. He has blue eyes. That's not well, really a symbiote. Well, it, no, the the glossing over of the eyes is a thing, but what is, what is he? In the it? comics. He's toxin or something? Yeah, toxin. Yeah, it's very possible that he could be a uh, an offshoot of, Cause he was, of Carnage. Yeah, he, in the comics, Detective Mulligan is Toxin, who is a offspring of Carnage. So I think that maybe he'll be in the next Venom movie. Yeah, we I don't m- think he'll be in Spider-Man. We though. might even see him, though, in the multiverse. I don't think so. You don't think so? I, I don't think so. Because you know everyone going to the Spider-Man film will not have watched Venom, right? There's some people who really don't give a crap oh, about I the multiverse. I don't think he's going to be in the Spider-Man movie. Oh, just, just somewhere in the somewhere multiverse? Somewhere in the multiverse later on. Fair enough. I mean, and uh, that's always possible because if Sony and MCU have a really good merger. If I'm Sony, there is no way I'm rushing to put Venom back in his own multiverse, in his own universe. From a business okay. standpoint, that doesn't make any sense to me. Black Cat, I think, would work best with Spider-Man, but I understand that they want to do kind of a solo thing. Morbius totally works standalone. But some of the other, like, Sony things look like they're grasping at straws. I'm pretty sure Disney slipped uh, Sony a hundy to bury Morbius in the ground somewhere. No, I, last I read, I think it's going to be coming to, out in, like, February. Mm-hmm. But they they don't advertise for it at all. I don't think it's gonna. Mm-hmm. I really don't. It's possible. I mean, it says 2022 when you look it up in January. January. January is where movies are sent to die. It is. I didn't say it wasn't coming out. I'm just saying, like... Very, very rarely are are films in January doing very well. Because you come off that high of those Christmas blockbusters, 
And that December movies. And January, everybody's going back to school, and the weather's getting horrible. And everyone's sad because it's just seasonal depression. So, it, I just... Are you depressed? Come watch a Sony movie. I just don't... I mean, when MCU's never put out a movie in January. No. And the funny thing is, is that the first Deadpool movie actually came out in February because they thought it might flop. And they're like, well, we'll put it out Valentine's Day weekend. Maybe we'll get a little bump. And it made a ton of money because people wanted to go see Deadpool. I mean, originally Morbius was a July release. So it's fallen pretty hard. But also COVID, right? Yes. You really have to take that into account. But they still, they pushed Eternals from a November to another November. Because they knew. And they pushed Morbius from a July to a January? Yeah, that doesn't bode well. At least they could have put it in February, where some movies do really well around Valentine's season. Mm-hmm. So, comparatively, Venom I mean, versus Let There Be Carnage. Oh, Which I, one's a better film? I think, I think the villain was better in this movie. But I actually think the first movie might have been slightly better, but maybe not. I don't know. It's hard to say. Maybe this movie was better. See, I think the villain makes the flick. And more often than not, if you have a weak villain, you're not going to have a good story. Even if you have a really fun hero, it just felt like the first movie fell flat. I feel like Eddie was better in the first movie. I agree. But I think that overall this film was a better film because they let Tom Hardy and Andy Serkis write it. No, and it it grew so much with the relationship between Venom and Eddie Brock, right? You got to see them interact as, like, these terrible roommates inside the same body. I know this might be unpopular, but I think this movie was a little too short. I think that maybe 10, 15 more minutes of Cletus stuff would have really just kind of upped this movie. Yeah, no, their pacing was very, very quick. Like, they didn't waste time anywhere. Now, some movies, they waste time and you kind of resent it, you know? Right, I would rather it be too quick than too long. Yeah. Because at least too quick, it's like, wow, I wanted more. But when it's too long, it's like, God, is this movie ever going to be over? I will say that the credits felt entirely too long for such a short movie. They put 22 minutes of credits in front of a hour and Are a half movie. Are you talking trailers? Yeah, that's the one. Trailers. Trailers, yeah. credits, same yeah. thing. Because we went twice, and we were 15 minutes late to the second show. And there were still like 10 more minutes of credits. <laughs> trailers. Trailers. I'll get it. Eventually. By the next podcast. Yeah, for sure. But... The idea that this movie is too short, I I mean, I kind of disagree. Like, I felt like this was a really, really solid number. Oh, it was not, like 90 minutes. I'm not saying it was much too short. Just like, literally, there were a couple things that I would have added in. Just a few things. One, I would have added in... A sex scene between Venom and Carnage? No. What about Lady Venom and Carnage? No. Um, what I would have added in is there's this really beautiful animation about Cletus. Oh, yeah. And his, like, killing his mom and grandma. And <laughs> what a beautiful animation. <laughs> it, it was a cute little it's just animation. The, it's just the way you said it. It was. It was. It was, it was really well done. And it, Visually, it was beautiful. It didn't require them to film all these unnecessary flashbacks of a redheaded kid. And then I would have had a follow-up to really bring the circle, the the movie full circle at the end when Cletus is like, nobody ever told the full story. Nobody ever told about how I was abused, how I was a victim. Nobody ever talked that about that. They just talked about how I was horrible. Mm-hmm. And I think 
that would have just brought some real full circle. Uh, like, I just think that would have been a great moment. I mean, Cletus still mm. would have died. But if, instead but of being drawn in blue, you make it drawn in red because carnage. The first one was drawn in red. No, it was blue. It was it was red. I think the second one should have been drawn in a different color because he, you know how because it it's a different perspective. It was drawn in red because he was telling the story in his little red ink postcard. Oh, on the postcard. Yeah, you might be right. But yeah, and then if the second one had been drawn in maybe a blue, so for sadness or whatever. Yeah. I think I think that w- like that would have been two minutes, and I just I would have added just a little bit more with Venom and, and uh, Eddie because I think that that is really the heart of the movie. Mm-hmm. That's the relationship you're trying to build. Eddie and Venom's relationship is pretty special, and I know people are like, oh, they made Venom lame. Eddie's a loser. Yeah. And Venom has been with Eddie for months at this point, if not years at this point. And so Venom's kind of a loser now. Yeah, but you know who the real hero is in this movie? Dr. Dan. Dr. Dan is a hero. He is a hero. Venom. I was kind of saying it's a joke, but it's legit. He, he sets Carnage on fire and distracts him long enough for Venom to get free. And he's able to save Anne, too. Dan's that nice boyfriend that you move on after you had this really passionate, shitty boyfriend. Like, you loved him, and he wasn't, he wasn't like, abusive or anything. He just... He was, was just like a black alien. He was just kind of shitty. Like, yeah. he never really had any ambition. <laughs> he was always asking you for money to cover his rent. Like, and he was like, I'll pay you back. And he would give you, like, nothing. He gave you no money. He has a rock band, but there's only, like, two people in it. It's just him and his buddy messing around. Well, yeah, because the other friends moved on and they, got real jobs. They call it a band, but it's really just a guy with a drum set. Like, he's not, like, particularly bad or anything. He just, like, never learned to be an adult. Yeah. And then you move on to a real adult boyfriend, and then your ex-boyfriend. And, like, the passion with your ex was so good. That's why you stayed so long. Okay. Like, but, and then you move on to a nice, sweet Dr. Dan. Question. Yeah. Venom's humor. Venom is so funny. Was it too much? Did it take us out of it, or did it add to it? I thought it was really funny. Venom's supposed to be a, a scary, evil character. Like, did the humor... Make him way, less scary. No, because if you saw that thing in an alley, even if it made jokes at you, you would still be terrified. We gotta talk about the gay nightclub then. Was that too much? Was that too funny? I liked the gay nightclub scene. Thank you, one person. <laughs> that was such a funny <laughs> line. I, no, why are we not seeing that all over the damn internet? I don't know. Like, it is such a funny meme. That's a great meme. But there's... It'd be like... When I post a picture of my art and that person that always likes my stuff likes it. Thank you, one person. <laughs> like, no, just whenever you get one like on anything, you just at that person and then boom, <laughs> gif. Maybe because people haven't been able to get a high def still of it yet. Maybe. Did they release it anywhere but theaters? I don't think it's any I don't think it's in any of the trailers. Not that line in particular. Mm. So maybe we'll have to wait till the movie comes out on streaming. Yeah. And then, because that's when the best memes come out. I mean, Shang-Chi was a better movie. Okay, I was about to say, like, even though you loved Venom and Carnage and everything, Shang-Chi was a superior movie. I cannot wait for Venom to be in the MCU, and if Venom is not on a team with John Walker, U.S. agent, what are they even doing? If they don't make the Thunderbolts or the Dark Avengers or whatever team that they're making... I really want to see uh, General Ross be Red Hulk. I know they haven't hinted at it at all. 
But I think. But they I, keep bringing him in. I think a, a solid Thunderbolts team has to have Red Hulk in it. And Venom was quite often on that team. Yeah. Bucky should lead. It. Agent Venom, but yeah. Bucky should lead the team. Mm. What do you think? I I like that. I, I think that he he makes a good leader. Because I don't really feel like him being the sidekick for for Sam's Captain America is. I don't really feel like that's where his character. Yeah, because going. Sam is because Captain America is supposed to be. Like, like, have a solo leader. No, but also, like, this kind of, like, red, white, and blue glory boy, right? It's like, he's supposed to be a symbol. And that's not Bucky. That's not Bucky at all. He's he's a much darker, depressed individual. Well, let's be honest. Bucky really never wanted to join the war in the first place. He was drafted. Yeah. So, first of all, he's drafted. Then he gets kidnapped and experimented on. Then he falls to his death next to his best friend. But then he's quote-unquote, rescued and experimented on more and forced to be this horrible, evil assassin. And he for, finally, like, 65 or 70 years. And then he finally gets free, and he has to go on the run for the next five years. And then... And then his best friend is a raccoon. <laughs> <laughs> it makes no sense. His best friend is not a raccoon. Then his best friend goes back to live with the love of his life and just leaves him. So, so Bucky has just had the worst time, and there's no way that Bucky would ever be comfortable being a symbol of America. So people that are like, why didn't Bucky get to be Captain America? Bucky didn't want to be Captain America. No. But... Steve probably was like, bro, you want the shield? And he was like, no! But on a dark on a dark hero team, like an anti-hero team, I think he could really work. Along with all these other characters. Because, I mean, we're going to get She-Hulk, and so Red Hulk makes sense. We got uh, we got Yelena who's going to be hunting maybe, down Hawkeye maybe, in December. Maybe Bucky and Yelena lead the team as co-captains, where they have romantic tryst on the side. I'm shipped them. He's 118 years old. So she's over age. She's legal. What do you want him to be no, with? Well, considering the biggest hit when he was a kid was I like to sing about the moon and the Jordana Springer. <laughs> like bullshit. I don't think that was the biggest hit when he was a child. Oh. It's like if Amazing Grace is on the top ten, you're too fucking old. He came. He was born in. Well, it depends on which part of the sign you believe, because the sign in the museum says both 1916 and 1917. But I think officially he they acknowledge he was born in 17. Okay. But it doesn't matter. I'm just saying there's no one age appropriate for Bucky there. No. But Yelena's pretty cute, and I think they would make cute babies. Unless Bucky's just straight up. Just putting on his leather jacket and going to the nursing home. Just hitting on some old ninnies. Why do you think all his friends in the in the Falcon Winter Soldier were old people? He's like, I get along with these. I, they remember the war. I remember the war. It's like, you remember before we had uh, phones with buttons? It was all just a rotary. How annoying was that, right? We are on some massive tangents now, and I think that we need to wrap it up. The point is, is that th- that Thunderbolts da, da, da. needs to happen, and yeah. Venom needs to be on a team. I think he would not play nice, but I think it would be a really fun dynamic, and maybe he'll eat John Walker. You don't want to eat John Walker. I want him to eat John Walker. Mm. And with that, I think that wraps up this episode of Real Romance Double Feature with Venom and Shang-Chi. So, uh, follow us on Twitter, at Real Romance UCPN. Also on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, at Real Romance. Uh, my personal is at Banting Bob. Brittany is at BookNerd528 on Instagram. We also have an email address. 
Um, realromancepod at gmail.com. That's the one. I don't want to promise anything, but we are hoping to put out a ho- Halloween special with all of the horror movies we watch this month. Yeah, it might might come, it might not. Just kind of keep your ears and eyes peeled. We got a lot going on, including a Disney vacation. Yeah, big trip next month. We're going to see Eternals, and then within two days we leave to, to, <laughs> to go, go to, to Disney, Disney World. World. So it's going to be a big, hectic, busy time for us. Uh, but in the meantime, just keep following us, interact with us if you want to know anything or if you just want to chat, uh, and make sure you tune into Undercover Capes Podcast Network or Comic Crusaders for all the best comics, pop culture news, all That's sorts better. of stuff for everybody. At the end of the day, we're happy to be here. Thank you so much for listening. Keep it real. Bye. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of Real Romance Season 3. Remember to follow us on all of our social media accounts and our affiliates at Undercover Capes Podcast Network and Comic Crusaders.